This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Rebecca Lillian from Rebecca Drives. Oh, we're a little tighter this week. That's good. <laughs> and I'm Sam Abuol Samad from Guidehouse Insights. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, let's get to what we're driving to. Uh, it's hot in here, so I want to. I want to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk cars. What's in our garage? Sam, you go first. All right. I had the 2020 Chevrolet Corvette Stingray Coupe. Um, which is, uh, you know, the, that, uh, unicorn of automobiles that, uh, everybody's been dreaming about for probably close to 60 years now. And it's finally real. The mid-engine Corvette Don Sherman, you know, has been writing about this thing since the early 1970s. And it seemed like every few years GM was finally going to pull the plug and actually build a mid-engine Corvette. They kept bringing out concept after concept, but they never did it until now. And it's good. It's really good. As cars of this type go, it's an amazing bargain. Yeah, I think all of us were kind of shocked last summer when they revealed this thing and said, yeah, it's going to start at $60,000. And the, the next closest thing you can get to a car like this, you know, is something like the Acura NSX or the Audi R8, both of which, you know, the NSX starts at about 160 now. I think the R8 is about 140 or 150 these days. So this is less than half the price of those cars and easily offers comparable performance to those vehicles or to, you know, almost anything else shy of, you know, of like the, you know, the really high-end hypercars. <clears throat> the one I had was a base model uh, with all-season Michelin Pilot Sports, so not even summer tires. Uh, and I took it out, you know, had it in sport mode. I didn't put, you know, not even in track mode. I didn't use launch control or anything. I just put it in sport mode so I could get the, the timer up. And I was on a, a rural road, nobody, nobody behind me, on a slight uphill slope. And I just stepped on the gas and it went from zero to 60 in 3.3 seconds. <laughs> You know, wow. and this is, you know, straight out of the box. Well, and I you kind know, of love just the fact modified. that they gave you a base model. That's awesome. I think they should. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it's great that they're giving out. I know Stephen Ewing had a base model too. And A, I think it, it, it looks and feels, well, you'll have to tell us about the feel, but it looks great in base model form. How does it feel? It, it feels great. <clears throat> you know, I know um, Tim Stevens from CNET uh, from Roadshow had a Z51 last week. Uh, Jill Simonello had a Z51 in uh, Chicago as well. Um, but, you know, this, this base one, you know, there's not a whole lot of reasons to, to upgrade. Um, the, the only options on the car I had were the performance exhaust, which is like $1,200, and the $400 uh, race, uh, torch red seat belts. So the seat, belts, seat belt color matched the, the body color. Uh, you know, no, no other options on but there. But it says so and much really, about their confidence in the vehicle that they're willing to put that that trim into the press fleet. That car is bad. Yeah, I mean, it's we fantastic. almost never get base models of anything, right. even you know, even entry level cars. Yeah, you know, it's always you know the mid level to premium models. Well, and somehow and, I swung an invite to the launch out in Vegas, and they had. Uh, they had base models there for us to drive as well. You know, I mean, they, the, yeah. the one that I drove was 85,000. So clearly not the base, but just the fact that they had people in them just says, it says a lot. It really is. It has to be respected. 
Yeah, and to, you know, to be fair to, to Chevrolet, right now there's only one powertrain option. Uh, so you know, regardless of whether you get the base model or or the the top trim level, you're still getting the same 495 horsepower, 6.2 liter small block, uh, latest generation of the small block, and that uh, eight speed uh, dual clutch transmission. So that's that's in all of them right now. Next year there's a Z06 coming, which reportedly will have uh, a flat plane crank V8, uh, similar to the one that's in the C8Rs that are running in the IMSA Sports Car Championship this year. But aside from that, there's there's you know the only other real performance changes to you know that are available right now are you know in the Z51 package you can get the um, uh, the Magna Ride dampers, and you can get upgraded. You, know, you can get summer tires, and I think uh, there's a 20-inch wheel option. Uh, you know, but then you know there's a bunch of other options you can get as well. But they don't really impact the performance of the car. You know, so basically, you know, even at the base level, you're getting the same level of performance, which is pretty remarkable. And th- unlike the the first Corvette I ever drove was actually um, just about 30 years ago. Uh, when I was still, uh, when I just started working as an engineer, uh, I was working for GM at the, at the Milford Proving Grounds. And, you know, I had a chance, I was, I was, went along, uh, accompanied a car from our team, a Lotus Esprit Turbo, um, from the group that I worked in for a benchmark drive that the Corvette team was doing. Oh, I bet when the Corvette were... murdered it. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. <laughs> uh, you know, they they had the uh, the C uh, two C fours, a, a base Z fifty one C four, and the LT five uh, ZR one, uh, which had the the Lotus twin cam V eight in it, and they also had a, an Acura NSX, which was the only time I ever drove the first gen NSX. But you know, those cars, those C four Corvettes, were such crude beasts in those days they had a big clamshell hood you know so the whole front half of the car basically flipped up and when you're driving down the road you could see the whole thing shaking and it was just it was ridiculous yeah i mean that's part of the gm charm (laughs) yeah well this this car you know just feels just feels so sophisticated i mean it's solid as a rock uh you know even with the top off the, the the roof panel off solid as a rock you know no vibration no flexing that you feel at all even without the Magna Ride dampers, the ride quality was actually surprisingly good. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, Genesis G90, you know, smooth, you know, soaking up all I the bumps. I would hope not. But it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> punishing either. You know, I mean, it, was, it was quite a comfortable ride. It could, this could easily be a daily driver because uh, that was one of the questions that somebody posed on Twitter. Could this be a daily driver? And I, I think absolutely it could be. And it's also got a surprising amount of cargo space between the front trunk and then the rear. Just for, for giggles, I opened up the rear and uh, just to see if I could fit my uh, inflatable paddleboard in the back. And I actually could. I, I, flip, I, I put my uh, stand-up inflatable paddleboard in the, in the rear trunk and closed the lid and it, it fit perfectly. But how much does it tow? <laughs> How does it tell? Nothing. You cannot hook up a trailer. But it does so, haul ass. It does haul <laughs> ass. Yeah, it's just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, the, you know, the seats in this thing are great. I'm still, shall we say, unconvinced about the whole wall of buttons thing. That's what thing. I was going to ask I think, you. I, I, I think that that's a, I think that was a stupid design, design decision. I think that, if anything, they should have cut that down and just put uh, a panel of buttons next to the, 
the touch screen, the center touch screen, or because the problem, the problem with the, the way it's set up that row of buttons that, you know, the longitudinal row of buttons on there is they're not really readily distinguishable without looking at them. And actually if you're, if you're driving with the roof panel off and the sun is shining down, you also can't see the lights on them to, to see if they're on or off and the the markings on them are backlit. So the black buttons with backlit buttons uh, markings on there. So, you know, it's, it's actually hard to see what it is you're hitting, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, you know, adjust, um, you know, the climate control or anything. So it's, I think it's just not functionally, not a, not a great design, but that's, a relatively minor quibble considering how good everything else is about this car. So when I drove, drove it, I compared that, uh, that wall of buttons. It reminded me of like the puritanical beds where they like put like a long pillow or something in between a couple (laughs) so that they can't touch each other if they're not married yet. Like, wasn't that, we learned it. We learned the term in like studying colonial times and I just can't remember what it's called, but it's like a bolster, like in the middle. I'm like, there's no hanky panky going on in that Corvette Stingray. (laughs) I I think (laughs) it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a new Corvette if it didn't have a questionable choice of you know interior you know something fair enough i mean i will say that you know after a while so henry payne was my driving partner and you know after a while it it does it it does limit it i mean it kind of fades away a little bit but i still felt like i was in the sidecar right as opposed yeah no i can i can definitely believe that you know you're sort of this like Oh, okay. You know, there's a passenger there. We have to make room for them, but yeah, that's no, uh, that would definitely be yeah. true. And I and you I know, also and thought it was very ironic that you know it's it's very similar to what Porsche has, like in the Cayenne and the Macan, with all those buttons, and yet the Taycan is like no buttons. Like they've gone completely away from it. So it was just kind mm-hmm. of funny to me that all of a sudden Corvette comes out with this all these buttons just as Porsche's moving away from them. But at least they're yeah. not like, at least it's not like a touchscreen. <laughs> at least they're buttons. Yeah, that's true. They are, they, they are, they are physical buttons, uh, even if they are almost impossible yeah. to distinguish from each other by feel. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, I was, if I was buying one of these, I, would pr- I think I'd probably step up to the 2LT model, um, mainly because uh, you know, in the 1LT, the base model, you you, know, you don't get any driver assist features at all, which you know for the most part is fine. I, I I can do without adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist and things like that in here. But given the width of this car, you know and how low you sit in it, you know and those big rear fenders, uh, I think it would be good. And I, I think the GM really should have made things like blind spot uh, monitoring standard equipment on the base model. I don't think that that should be in the up level term. I think it should be standard in the base model. And also the, uh, the rear camera mirror system, uh, I think also would have been helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, just for, for better visibility straight out the back. It, it's actually given the size of the back window, you know, over the, the engine, you can actually see a surprising amount, although you don't see anything over your shoulders. You know, if you glance over your shoulders, you know, the rear three quarters, cause you've got huge pillars there. But straight back, you, you can actually see a surprising amount. But I think I, I would rather have the, that uh, camera mirror and uh, blind spot monitors as, as standard equipment in the base model, given 
you know, the visibility challenges of a, a car of this configuration. It's so funny, um, Sam, because I made that exact point that the, it's a $1,500 rear, com, rear cam review option that really should be standard equipment because it, it, yeah. it, there isn't a lot of visibility on that thing at all. No, no, it's yeah. not. But then again, I mean, you can see, you can see ahead of you. Great. Right. Which given, you know, the, how fast it goes right. is probably all <laughs> you're ever going to need to see. <laughs> The uh, the roof panel, you know, as Corvettes have been for decades now, you know, it's a it's a Targa top, uh, so the roof panel is removable, and the roof panel is really lightweight, very easy to you know for one person to handle by themselves. You don't need help, you know, very lightweight roof, and then uh, you can put it in, stash it in the rear trunk, and there's um, little pockets there where you, you slide it into the. Uh, the the bottom into the pockets at the, at the at the base of the trunk and then just snap it in at the top so it doesn't rattle around at all. Of course, when you do that, you lose most of that rear trunk space, but you still have the front trunk where you know if you're going to the grocery store, you can throw a couple bags of groceries in there. Um, you know, or on a weekend road trip, you know, you can fit a you know a duffel bag with a few days worth of clothes in there. So um, you know, it still remains a, a surprisingly practical car for what it is. Yeah, I, I just agree. love how I love how proud they are of the the Corvette, and I think they should be. I think they deserve to to show it off, and the putting the base model out there uh, just shows how fundamentally good they're all they all are. Uh, you know, they had a lot of a lot of stuff to a lot of details to really figure out with making the mid-engine Corvette and making it for the price, and certainly the performance that it delivers. Uh, makes it all worth it. You know, that, that's, it's just a, you know, we waited for 50 years for it. It's finally <laughs> here. Uh, and I, I'm assuming it lives up to the weight, you know, uh, I, I will have to sort of reserve my judgment for driving it, but uh, I don't know. You guys seem a little bit more lucky out there than I, I am out here. So I think for the, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think I, for the most part, people uh, are really happy with it. Yeah, I, I I certainly wouldn't complain. You know, to to get a car with this kind of performance, yeah, and I mean the design has really grown on me. I I actually like this design better than the C7. Um, the C6 is still probably my favorite yeah. uh, modern Corvette, but the the C7, you know, I was less enamored with it. The design, I always thought the design was a little busy, especially the back end. But this one really works for me. So Sam and I got I got a lot of comments from people you know when I went to the store or just people walking by seeing it in my driveway. I bet. So Sam, uh, how are sales of it? I don't know if you know off the top of your head. Uh, I don't. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to judge because they don't really know, report it, them. Basically, well, they do, but it, you know, it went right? on sale. Yeah, they they report quarterly, and it, you know, it went on sale. You know, in volume in January, they had a, a few mm. sales in December. Um, you know, and then, you know, January is obviously not the best time for Corvette sales, you know, it's more spring, summer car. Right. Uh, and then, you know, then the pandemic hit. So I think it's hard, it's hard to judge right now what, how, you know, what the sales are going to be. They did cut off orders on the 2020s back in June because they were basically at that point they were, you know, they had enough to fulfill all of what they were going to do for the 2020 model year. And then they started taking orders for 21 models. Oh, wow. Okay. This is going to be an interesting year. You know, it's, it's the first year of the car and there's usually significant changes between, you know, the first, first year of a new Corvette model and, you know, the subsequent few years. And then it's just going to be a rare car anyway, given whatever else has gone on this year, it's been rather eventful. 
Uh, so I, I think that the, the 2020 C8 is going to be a rare car. Whether that means it's more valuable, I don't I don't think is anything we really know. But uh, I think it's going to be one of those cars that you don't see as many of just because there weren't that many made. Yeah, well, they, uh, so I just pulled up uh, GM's uh, second quarter sales report. They sold uh, 6,279 in the U.S. in the first six months of this year, okay. which is down 35% from last year when they were still selling C7s. Right. So it was 9,700 last year. But, you know, given the situation, you know, that's that's about what, what we would expect. How many Cadillac you know, sedans 30, did they sell? <laughs> um, <laughs> three or four. Less, less than that. Um, <laughs> They sold uh, 2,500 uh, CT6s uh, and 5,500 CT5s in the first half. Yeah, so. Oh, so. CT5 is doing better than I thought. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's doing better than the CTS was last year. CTS did 4,800 uh, in the first half last year, and this was 5,500. So That is niche it's, model it's volume. Off, it's, off, you know, it's off to a reasonable start. Good. That's awesome. And I'm driving, I actually have the CT5 in the uh, driveway this week, which we'll talk about next time. All right. But uh, yeah, you know, just the, the other, the other thing about Corvettes is, you know, driven sanely, they're actually surprisingly fuel efficient. Hmm. Um, You know, and this was true of the C6 and the C7 as well. Um, You know, this one, you know, it's rated at, uh, uh, let's see, 15 uh, 15 city, 27 highway, 19 combined. I actually got uh, about 22 combined, and I was getting about 29 on the highway. That 15, so, I mean, that's a big gap, 15 to 27, you know, city to yeah, highway. Yeah, it is. Probably something about the way they've got, got it all calibrated, you know, more for performance than fuel economy. The sticker price um, was 61585 including delivery. So that's the, the, base, the base price plus the $1,200 performance exhaust and $400 torch red seat belts. Uh, that's a ridiculous deal. That's amazing. <laughs> I Good know. For them. It's, and just, there's nothing even remotely close to that for that price point. I, I hope that they send it to me at some <laughs> point. No, they're, they're waiting to send you the new ZR1 with the, uh, the twin turbo V8. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. That's fine. My, my road is relatively straight. I think there's a quarter mile between, maybe a half mile between stop signs. So it's fine. All right. Uh, so, Rebecca, you were driving something a little bit more sedate, but um, still a good time. You had the Genesis G70? I did. I did. You know, this is one of those cars, you know how we always try and, like, guess how much a car is, right? Like, they drop it off, and you're looking at it and thinking, you know, we always have a range. But I was really pleasantly surprised having driven this car, having experienced it. Um, at again, like that value, like what you're getting for the money is actually really good with this Genesis G70. Uh, I had the rear wheel drive version. It, it had prestige. So it was more towards the top of the line. Um, personal pet peeve. I find the Genesis website, the consumer facing Genesis website, really hard to manipulate. So, um, I think I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to the top of the line it had a couple of um features had the elite package which was forty six hundred dollars and that's the eight inch touchscreen um 
power folding um, auto dimming outside mirrors. It's got the tilt and telescope steering wheel, um, heated front seats, which actually comes standard in all wheel drive, which is nice because that's typically a weather kind of related thing. Um, and then it had really nice quilted leather interior. It also had, so the prestige package for almost $3,900, that has the heads up display, which I didn't really find to be particularly compelling. Uh, I've had other vehicles uh, like the BMW uh, X5 or X3 that I had that that did a heads up display a little bit better than that. Uh, but this had, you know, some, a, a variety of really nice features in it. So one of the things that I thought as I'm driving this is just that it's like kind of, it's one of those vehicles that if you want it to go fast, it will happily go fast. But if you just want to have a good, solid commuting car that makes you feel like you've that you've earned your keep, this is that car. This you know, it's a size. It's about the size of a three series. Competes with like the Mercedes three series and the and the C class Mercedes. I'm sorry, Mercedes C class BMW three series. And but it's just kind of like no drama. Like I just I sat in it. I started driving it. We were up to triple digits ever so briefly, and then. It just was really well behaved and I appreciate that. Sometimes on really curvy roads here, I could push it and I, it would respond happily. I had the 2.0 liter. There is the 2.0 liter four cylinder in line four. There is a 3.3 liter V6, which of course is even more fun, but you know, at 252 horsepower horses, it just did exactly what I wanted it to do. And I just felt really comfortable in it almost from the very beginning, things were where I wanted them to be. And I just, I like that kind of experience. I, I don't want to fight with my car. You know what I mean? Like so, I just, I was like, yeah, yeah this just makes well, so sense. of adventure. That's the adventure. <laughs> yes, there are some weeks when it is definitely an adventure. You're right. <laughs> so how does it feel like when you're actually exercising it, right? And, and, you know, through some, some curves or, you know, making it, making it, perform like a sports sedan uh does it feel like all the pieces sort of are connected and talking to each other or does it feel kind of sloppy no i found it to be you know lunging into a tight turn it wanted to go there it was happy to go there i felt like it was that sports sedan that everything was was tight and with me and i never felt like even though it was rear wheel drive i never felt like i was losing the back end i never felt like i was you know gonna have any issues with it it just it was just a, a good car it was very quiet on the on the highway when i you know at speed and just fun to drive it was just it was it was one of those cars that if you you know as i said if you if you just want to do day to day that's great but for those times when you want to blow off a little steam it will happily be a partner in that crime <laughs> yeah i think there is no crime in blowing up there is no crime <laughs> i think taken on its own it it is it's it's good and satisfying i think where i've seen it fall down cuz i really like the G70 and i was impressed with it when i drove it i had it with the V6 i think um a while ago but I think where I've, I've been surprised to see it fall down is in direct comparison tests with like uh, the three series. Well, and um, I haven't driven a three series or C class lately. Right. And I think that you, if you drive them back to back to back, yeah. the nuance really comes out more. But um, I was really surprised at like the last uh, sort of car and driver comparison test I read where the, 
the Genesis just got dinged for for just not having all the parts, but not not doing it as well as the Germans or as well as BMW. The three series won the test because, of course, it did. But uh, I, I think wouldn't that, be a car and driver comparo if it wasn't. They didn't. <laughs> I wonder if it's like it's actually kind of nuanced differences, or if it's just um, you know the G seventy feels good enough most of the time for most of us and and it's that last little bit that um the next one will get you know well it's funny because that because i had been the car and driver review that i read actually said that rivals such as the mercedes c-class and three series are either not as fun to drive or not as richly appointed and still cost more yeah. All right. Well, so uh, again, it's that classic. Uh, well, it's an opinion point too, right? Yeah. I mean, I well, felt and, like. And when you compare the cars as well, you know, like when you're when you're driving them, like you got a group of four or five cars versus like taking it on, on its own. I, I think it, it is true. Objectively, there's just a ton of value in the Genesis. Well, and, and to not keep our listeners any more in suspense. So this had a price tag delivered of <laughs> of under $45,000, $45,000. I mean, that's a that's really a good, good price for- th- And how much was that Infinity Q50 you had the other the week? The <laughs> Infinity Q50 was more, I believe. Let me go to my I, handy yeah, dandy. It seems, like it, was over, it seems like it was over 50 Rebecca grand. Drive's website and look. <laughs> yeah, I think- That's at RebeccaDrives.com. <laughs> exactly. Oh no. Car reviews it, it, in 200 it words or less. 60,000. Oh. Because it was the Red okay. Sport 400, it was sixty thousand yeah. four seventy five. Now that did have the three point liter V six engine in it, so so the um, the Genesis comparable is probably in that price range. I but you know I can't say that I sat there and thought, gosh, I wish I had the Q fifty. You know, and the other thing I don't think anybody's saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was interesting that actually just coincidentally came out at the same time was uh, this report uh, by owners of Genesis. So Strategic Vision is a company that um, actually our listeners, if you bought a, a new car, you may have gotten the survey from them uh, there. It's a new car buyer survey and they ask consumers uh, you know, what do they think of their vehicle? But they periodically will do special reports. So this was actually the first strategic vision brand equity index. And it basically it asks current and prospective owners how they feel about their vehicles. And so Genesis actually scored the highest of any brand, uh, of any any uh, brand overall in for um, for confidence, for smart choice, and for refinement in terms of owner. So the ownership experience that people are having is very, very positive for them. And I thought that was just such great news for people that have a Genesis. It tells us that, you know, the, the owners aren't regretting their decision. They're really, really happy with it. And, you know, non-owners, of course, Mercedes was was number one in terms of overall for for confidence and for refinement, but that's a perception. What's interesting about the ownership is that's their reality. That's how they feel in their vehicles. And so I thought that was just really such great news for Genesis as it continues to define itself, to get itself on the map. And I think we've said all along that the products are there. It's just that they've got to work on 
the on the brand perception and their current owners can really be advocates for that for the brand to improve on the sales and perception well somebody has to be an advocate for for the brand because you know there's not that many dealers and you know they're kind of they're kind of hard to find so you know if if owners are willing to speak up and you know we've certainly seen the power of of you know voice you know voice of the owners or, or you know um you know just customers the testimony for a car when you look at a brand like tesla yes you know tesla doesn't do any traditional advertising you know and they rely completely on you know the the voice of the community to amplify you know the the message of the company and it's worked great for them so hopefully it'll work for for genesis well, as well but genesis the one thing that they're missing is genesis doesn't have a figurehead at the top of that brand doing outrageous shit all the time <laughs> keeping them in the news getting all kinds of earned media yeah that that is very true <laughs> genesis needs to work on that for sure that will right? help a lot hire yeah. an asshole and you guys will sell more cars <laughs> i think bob lutz you know would, would be willing to come out of retirement for that that's awesome. Note, note that I did not infer that Mr. Mutz. Is, I, I was not saying that either. I was just saying he could be a great figurehead for the brand. That's true. That's true. Bob has a well. He's a he's a product guy. He's got yeah. he's got a touch. He he could probably you know be a good advisor for the brand. But I I think they know what they're doing. I just think they're they're also stuck now. They got to slow walk it a little bit. And um. I also, I, you know, puzzlingly, they've got half of it down, right? I'm, I'm puzzled that I, you don't really see or hear about Genesis. They're not tooting their own horn as much as I think they should. Uh, yeah, I, th I think part of the problem, you know, is the fact that, you know, they came out with three sedans. Right. Well, yeah, that's part and of they're, it. They're Always. still waiting on, on the GV80. Right. That was the miscalculation of the crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, they, they, pushed, they pushed back the launch a little bit because of the pandemic, yeah. but. Uh, it should be coming out in the next few weeks or a month or so. So I think, like, I don't know how they, when they decided to split off and make Genesis its own brand, like, they've had some lead time. I don't know how they got stuck with three sedans, why they didn't. Well, there was a the lot of internal politics. I mean, because sedans rule a day in Korea, right? And so when you're on the streets of Seoul, a, a Genesis is, is like a Mercedes over there. Yeah. And you know, so and there was a lot of back and forth when it came to the dealer network. Uh, you know, try, they only gave the brand to certain dealers, and then they they wanted them to have their own dealership. And I, I mean, it was just there's been a lot of angst does, and internal politics. Does Does Genesis ex exist as a standalone brand in other markets, or is it only here in North America? I believe it's a standalone in other in other markets as well. I think it's a standalone in Korea, certainly. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if they were still branding them as Hyundai's in Korea. No. Well, and one of the things that was interesting in this, in the G70 is that there's actually a seat adjusters um, built into the passenger side. So as the driver, I can just reach over and I can adjust the passenger side seat so that if somebody's <laughs> in the, sitting in the back seat, I can move that up easily enough, which is so funny because that's certainly not, I mean, it was convenient for me because at one point my visibility was kind of compromised by just that way that the road was sloping. And I was, I was backing down my driveway, but I just kind of had to laugh because I thought that's never something that you typically see in the States. Yeah. I, but so this is the thing, this is a fundamental downfall of central planning, right? Like, 
if you want to sell cars in the U.S., you will sell the kind of cars that people buy in the U.S. Well, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, they would have had the GV80, especially because Hyundai has such fantastic SUVs. I mean, their SUVs are really, yeah. really good. So they had basis yeah. for them. And it, and just on a structural note, uh, Kia, even though they're owned by Hyundai, is completely separate in the U.S. So they are a totally separate corporate entity. They're seen as fierce from, from competitors. A, from a marketing and retail perspective, they're completely separate. Right, and they're from seen an as fierce competitors. From an engineering perspective, they're very much, in, in, very much entwined. I'm sorry? From, from an engineering and product development perspective, they're very much yes, entwined. Yes, back in Korea they are. But- No, and, and here, you know, like the, the Hyundai Tech Center, the Hyundai America Tech Center here, like five minutes from my house, um, you know, they do work on Hyundai's and Kia's. It's actually the Hyundai Motor Group Tech Center now. But they are not but allowed. They, you know, I was told by them that they were not allowed to talk to each other, that like the Hyundai people couldn't find out what was in the on, Kia Telluride. On, 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 the, on the marketing side, they're not. But from, an, from uh, and, I mean, within the building, there, you know, there might be some divisions, but, you know, I mean, they're working on, you know, they're doing the, the engine work, the, the chassis development work, you know, all the, all the product development work is happening in the same building for all, actually all three brands. Okay. That's yes. going to be weird. But they were just very, they were emphatic when we were on the Kia launch for the Telluride that they were a separate company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, they they always they always <laughs> remind us of that. You know, anytime anytime that we slip and say, you know, uh, refer refer to you know the Optima and Sonata as being the same car, or you know the uh, uh, the the Elantra and um, the Forte, you know, or you know, the or the Telluride Palisade and, and the Palisade, and, and the Telluride. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but so so I think you know. They, they have, Genesis has had a very rough start and they've had the core group that they've had, that they had in place, I should say, with uh, people like Manfred Fitzgerald who came over from Lamborghini and he was, he was the president for a number of years. He's out now. And then Luke, uh, I was going to say Luka Doncic, not the, not Dunker the basketball Volk. player. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But you know, he's now retired or left the company for personal reasons. And it's really unfortunate because I think that there's some, you know, they, they had a really solid vision and, and wanted to execute that vision. And I think we're starting to see that with some of the products coming out, but there definitely is, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Mark Del Rosa does at the top now with, with his experience at the brand. So see what happens. Yeah. Well, um, I drove a car that has a very strong brand and a very strong image, and they sell the hell out of it. Uh, I had the, uh, the Jeep Wrangler, I mean, Wrangler, Jeep Gladiator uh, Mojave. Um, so I was also in a 60,000 something dollar vehicle and uh, Sam, you had this not too long ago. Um, I'm really, yeah, about a month or so ago. Yeah. I'm really impressed with the Mojave. It's different than the Rubicon. You know, it's got the, the Fox shocks with the remote reservoirs and they're, it's really, they're really great at soaking up like 
small high frequency stuff. Uh, so it actually rides with a lot of discipline, and it feels better the faster you go, which I, it's that's the point. It's kind it's, of a it's pretty runner. remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing, um, and it's a it's a good sort of compact pickup. It it has a decent tow rating. Uh, dressed up in the Mojave trim, it's it's nice inside. This one had leather seats, and they charge you five hundred bucks extra to put sound insulation on the to the top of the uh, <laughs> the top of the Freedom Top, you know. And you have a having a vehicle like this in the summer, in late summer, is just it really doesn't get much better than that, you know. I'm not not really a convertible guy, but it's nice, you know. You pop up the pop off the top sections, and you you roll down the windows, or if you're real ambitious, you take off the doors and. Um, you just drive around on a warm evening. There's quite a lot of charm to that. Um, and that's, I think, what, what really stands out with the, uh, the Gladiator is the, the personality they've got in this, this pickup. Because uh, it, it starts off more expensive than every other mid-sized truck, and it stays more expensive. Um, By a pretty wide margin. Yeah. The Delta isn't that big to begin with. Um, I think if you were to buy a Ranger, you can get into a four-wheel drive sort of crew cab short bed Ranger for about 30, 31. And the the Gladiator, I think the cheapest Gladiator is going to be about 35. And then the Colorado is like right in the middle. So the cheapest Colorado is going to be like 33, 32, something like that. So it it's not that far off. If you're leasing or borrowing, it's, you know, you're, you'll get there. You, you could probably swing it. Um, if it if you wanted to stretch a little bit but a nobody's buying the base model (laughs) (laughs) um and and b like it it is it's nicely equipped you know it has four-wheel drive it comes with the v6 um it it can tow uh if you get it configured correctly i think you can tow 7650 pounds which is just the top of the class or uh, they may gm may have fiddled with the colorado to get it to 7700 so they can claim that has the best in class towing now. Um, so th- that's like, it's pretty good. It's functional. Um, until you go to like use it. <laughs> what do you mean? I, so we have <laughs> the power went out the other day and, and, well, a couple weeks ago, you and I, uh, yes. we both lost power for a while. Yes. So I borrowed my brother-in-law's generator and it's an 8,500 watt generator. The thing is heavy. And um, I just I wanted it back at his house so that it didn't become a, a theft target at mine. And I'm just like scratching my head trying to figure out how am I going to get this into the bed of the Jeep, which is it's a yeah. fairly tall liftover height. Yeah, to get anything into the bed. Of but it's good. Well, well, the one that I had had a five foot bed. Yeah, well, the bed itself is a decent size. Like that's okay. good. And, you know, right. like, you it's just the height. It's, it's high up off the ground. Right. Yeah, right. it's an extra inch off the ground in the Mojave. Ah. So I'm like looking around like, what do I have? I had to actually tack together a quick like set of, you know, a quick ramp out of like some some eight foot lumber I had kicking around, like some four by fours and so just ridiculous. <laughs> my my 12 year old's like, dad, you should really just call him and have him come help you. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna figure That's this out Dan. <laughs> we're gonna engineer this i'm gonna throw a come along over the tree branch and, yeah uh so that's that's problematic though like it's it's tall and like even to get in you gotta like you know for, yeah. for those of us of getting in it was stature, definitely exciting sometimes yeah you've got to yeah. sort of like pull yourself you could you know good bicep sort of you know strength on that that grab handle 
Um, but that's, I, I think also that's, that is part of the charm. Um, I, I really, I did like it quite a bit. It's, it's a, one of those cars that if you, if you want value, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unless you're talking about resale and it's going to hold on to its resale value, but I have a hard time buying a car to sell it. So that doesn't really factor in for me. Um, initially you you are going to pay for the privilege of having the gladiator it generates goodwill so that's nice you know i heard more than once you know uh somebody commented as we drove by like oh a jeep truck so that's cool it's still new enough that it it excites people um i don't want to pay for that every month though <laughs> it was funny because i my brother flew in from california last week and he he drove down and and he said, "Hey, can you meet me at this other airport so he could drop off his rental car because he didn't need it?" And it was a it was a Jeep Gladiator. Really, it's a in rental? The, rental the rental fleet. Wow. But was what, what was also what, fleet? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. But what was also, also kind of interesting is that he didn't really rave about it. He was like, "I was like, why don't you keep that thing? Like, I wanted to keep it for the week." And he was just like, "Oh, it was, it was fine." Like he would he didn't really go on and on about it, which was kind of interesting because huh. he's driven other products for me. You know, as like if he's visiting or something, and I always get clearance from the manufacturer. But uh, it was just kind of interesting that he didn't really rave about it because I thought it was. I think it's great fun. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a fun car, and and I I think that dressed up like the Mojave, it definitely has the goods too. You know, it's got Dana forty four axles, it's got the two speed transfer case and the locking rear axle, and you you can seriously you know do a lot of off road on this if it's going to be used like a lot of Jeeps are never taken off road it's kind of a shame and a waste but yeah i mean you're free to buy whatever the hell you want and it, it's it's a big personality vehicle just like a raptor um it, i actually like it better than the raptor i do too you know as something as something to drive around because like you said the suspension setup is so much better it's so much better controlled than the raptor the raptor feels kind of soft and floppy on yeah. the road yeah and and the raptor is i it's a Ford truck. I don't, I don't. I, I haven't driven the Raptor, but I drove the Ranger. Don't and, let Mr. Levine hear you say that. Well, I, they're good trucks. I just don't like them that much. I drove the Ranger <laughs> at an Impa event and it was not okay. Really? Really. What didn't you like about the Ranger? It was really loud and very rough and, and other people agreed with me. I was like, it, it, it no. <laughs> i think part of the problem with uh, the ranger is that it only has the, the 2.3 liter ecoboost in it which is a powerful enough engine you know it's, it's actually more powerful than the um the engine that's in the gladiator i think um but it's it's still it's, it's a, got more torque i yeah. think it's got a, in the truck it's got a little less horsepower because i think it's like 275 or something oh, okay i was gonna say that's got to be like a 300 horsepower engine but that yeah. makes sense. They traded horse. It is in a Mustang, yeah. but not, not in the Ranger. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm, I'm actually surprised how well the Gladiator does with the, the V6 because it's, it's got 285 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque. It's not a light vehicle in the first place. So to get to that towing um, number where uh, the, the Gladiator Mojave can only do about 6,000 pounds. Oh, I say only. That's pretty good. Um, that's, I mean, that's sufficient for what most people need yeah. for towing. I mean, you know, mo most people that, that tow, you know, are towing, you know, maybe a, bo a boat, you know, that's typically about between four and 4,500 pounds. 
um, you know, or, you know, a, a trailer a with a trailer, couple yeah. of snowmobiles or jet skis or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I want to do a jet ski trailer all day long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the e-torque system might help fill in the gaps, you know, because the, the Pentastar, uh, it, it, you got to work it a little bit here. Um, so the e-torque might help. Um, the diesel's coming. I don't think the diesel, the rumor is the diesel's not going to tow anymore because they've just got to figure out how to package all the stuff in the front of it. So it's going to lose some cooling. Um, so the, the heat is a problem with the diesel when you, when you, well, tow. If, if you're, if you're not, if you can't tow with the diesel, then there's no point in getting the diesel at all. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the point of getting a diesel. Right. In a um, like that. Well, it'll tow more efficiently, but I, you know, David Tracy had an interesting write up about it. One of the problems with the gladiator getting over that 6,000 pound tow rating to get to 7,650 was that there's just not a whole lot of space on the front of it to package, oh, okay. um, you know, a, a thicker radiator, a larger radiator, more ducting, something, you know, like there was, yeah. they had a real challenge getting enough heat out of the, uh, the cooling system. And they got there with the gas engine. Uh, but the diesel has a charge air cooler and it's got to go somewhere. And so yeah. that takes up well, space. And- and, and one of the things that they've talked about with the Gladiator, one of the differences <clears throat> between the Gladiator and the Wrangler, if you look at the grill, it's actually the same grill, except on the Wrangler, there's like a chrome trim bezel around the interior, around the perimeter of each of those slots. Yep. And on the, on the Gladiator, they actually removed that to make that, those slots just slightly wider and taller, get a little bit of extra airflow in there to, to get the cooling they needed for the Gladiator, yep. which, you know, which they didn't need on the Wrangler. And, and part of it, too, is like it's gaming tests, like fuel economy. You know, because yeah. they're doing the SAE uh, towing test, it's, it's a combo of cooling and gearing and which gear the engine is in, so which RPM it runs at, depending on how much heat it's going to generate. So... It's it's all it's just it's fascinating uh, sort of deep nerdy engineering, uh, but yeah I don't I don't think the diesel's going to do any better in sort of the the sort of uh, overall number. It's probably going to tow more confidently. It's just going to feel better, um, and I think it's probably why you're not going to see a Hemi in here either. It's just you can't can't get the heat out of the Hemi either um, in in that engine bay. So kind of is what it's it a shame because that you know the one thing it could use is a Hemi in there. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, there's there's something to be said for like the 1930s theme that the, the Gladiator pulls off. You know, it feels feels cozy inside. You look out over that rounded hood with the flat fenders and stuff. It just makes you nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, no, I, I like it a lot. I think it's totally the point. It drives really friendly. It drives way better than it really should for what it is given the primitive something with two something with two solid axles yeah and i say primitive engineering it's actually got a lot of very expensive fancy modern day engineering in it um to make it behave so well um you know but it's the the worst i can say about it is that it's it's a serious financial commitment and so maybe if you can afford it go ahead cheap of course it is um but uh it's uh it's a it's a member into a club uh, it's a membership into the club too so you gotta like practice your wrangler wave my, my son was reminding me about that he's like that person just waved you he's like ah shit i forgot <laughs> so since since getting my miata i've uh you know I've, I've learned to you know hit the button on the uh the console to pop up the headlights when I see another NA coming. Oh, nice. 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 I like that. Yeah, so we're not, I'm not friendly like that. I got to remind myself. 
You're a man of the people. How are you not friendly? It's true. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a. I'm like a shop steward. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm grouchy. <laughs> I look out for my people, but I'm a grouch about it. <laughs> Curmudgeon, get off my lawn. Exactly. Um, all right. So I, you know, I, I think that the gladiator is a great, uh, great pickup. I'm glad we have it. Uh, you, it's going to cost you, but it's, I mean, nothing else really has that kind of charm. So go for it if you can. Rebecca, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the, uh, the strategic vision owner brand equity award? No, I think it's, uh, no, I think I said my piece. You know, it's just, again, it's okay. an interesting kind of uh, just another marker that consumers can look at and address and say, you know, you can Google if you're doing your research and say, what strategic visions owner brand equity award? And then you get a good idea of the ownership experience for some of these people. Okay. Well, there, there's another uh, award that also came out the, uh, from J.D. Power, uh, not so much an award, I guess, but they uh, measured the technology experience index and, you know, they did, you know, sent out surveys to, uh, you know, customers of, you know, all the, all the major brands um, and did scoring um, on categories, including effectiveness, innovation, and customer reception. Um, And interestingly, the, uh, you know, they, it had a total maximum score of a thousand. Only one brand got over six hundred, and that was Volvo. Uh, it got six hundred and seventeen. That is um, Everybody else went down from there. <laughs> yeah. That's infuriating. It is. Don't encourage yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, then second on the list was BMW. Uh, another fascination. Uh, <laughs> with the five hundred and eighty-three, uh, Cadillac at five seventy-seven. Mercedes-Benz at 567 and Genesis at 559. Uh, and you know, one of the things in, the, in this article that's mentioned, you know, Tesla isn't on the list. And, for, and it's for the same reason that Tesla is typically not on uh, the quality surveys, the J.D. Power quality surveys, because what they, um, what they do, um, what J.D. Power does, they send out these surveys to people who have bought cars from these brands. And you know, they have to get the customer data uh, from the manufacturers or, or in, in some states they actually get the customer data, the registration data from the state DMVs. But uh, in some states they're required to get permission from the manufacturer to contact their customers. And Tesla um, does not allow, you know, in those states, there's 15 states where that's required. Tesla has never allowed JD Power to actually contact its uh, its customers where permission is required. Well, I mean, so, to be fair, Tesla is also not good at contacting its own customers. Well, that is that is very true. Um, so Tesla didn't get an official score, uh, but in the 35 states where they were able to survey Tesla customers, they got a 593 score, which would have put them in second place uh, behind Volvo, which is interesting. Um, yeah, the the thing the tech that customers liked and didn't like, um, they were still uneasy about automated driving systems. And you know, I guess in this case, it's still it's ADAS. And last week, um, TU Automotive <clears throat> put on a virtual conference. You know, it's a com- they did a combination of several of the conferences that they're responsible for, like the the annual TU Detroit. Uh, conference that's usually in June and their ADAS to autonomy conference. And I, I sat through a bunch of the sessions and discussions for that conference. And 
it's it's interesting, you know, how like uh, driver assist features, a lot of customers still don't like using those, you know, things like lane keeping assist and blind spot monitoring, which, you know, I, I would have thought, you know, that that's the one that I think is often, it's usually the best, you know, and cro uh, combined, especially combined with cross traffic alert. Um, they, you know, things like the surround view cameras, they definitely like, um, and what else here? Um, oh, the thing that customers universally dislike, gesture control. Which I, like, <laughs> I understand it, but I, I don't, I don't know that I agree. I kind of like the gimmicky gesture controls. I, you I are know everybody so else weird. Is. Come I, on. I, I like, I hate the things that everybody, no, this you, is on brand you for are, me. You I, generally I, universally are very scathing about frivolous things and you like gesture control. I, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, I'm, well, it's, it's like I was going to say, it's, it's definitely on brand for me to just like completely dislike all the things that everybody else loves and to like the one thing they hate. That totally makes sense. Um, you know, I'm surprised that they don't, well, I'm not surprised. I, it's, it's encouraging to see that they're uncertain about ADAS and, um, you know, it makes at least half of the people uneasy uh, it, because I, I think that that's really a good slice of reality. And that's what we have to, um, everybody's going to have to either get comfortable with or we have to make the systems better so that they're actually, you know, they're soothing on their own uh, when you put them into sort of self-driving mode. And and we're not really there. It's, although the Tesla owners, I think, as a, as a sort of group, really do love uh, autopilot. Um, no other... But it works. Yeah, well, no other automaker sort of has that, that quite kind of level of evangelism in its uh in its driver base but i, I think, think that if you queried most or the vast majority of tesla owners they would describe themselves as innovators and early adopters right and yeah. so they're willing to yeah, very much to, so. to take that risk like the work i did in saudi focused on on tesla owners versus nissan leaf owners and those tesla owners by far and away were willing to take the risk of to use technology as new as autonomous and that was five years ago you know so i think that that's a given i mean i have a volvo xc90 this week and yesterday i i almost had a heart attack because it's it thought that there was a car when there wasn't a car like it around a turn so as i'm turning there's a car parked and all of a sudden i get this loud break 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 like like i'm you know how like right. in a, like a in a cockpit where it says pull up pull up pull up, pull up, like, pull up yeah. <laughs> i was like oh my gosh i mean it scared the dickens out of me yeah but, you know and it happened again today well and, it's so that's that's the other point that uh the study sort of covered though is like many customers are unsure of how to operate the systems or, or what they can do and what what they don't do you sure. know? and then i think that that's that's true. It's funny. Uh, back when we were commuting, um, <laughs> I would, you know, my, my wife and I would call each other on our commutes and, uh, you know, she would often hear the systems beeping at me. <laughs> She'd be like, are you going to hit somebody? I'm like, no, it's just it's calibrated and certain cars are calibrated. So they're very conservative and just like, I'm totally fine. It's just, you know, making the system nervous. Thinks I'm going to hit the car in front of me that I'm passing now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the, this the Volvo definitely has an overabundance of systems. And for the most part, they're 
you know, they're quite good. They're most of them are haptic, first of all, which I far prefer. And I understand like if that braking system, it, it would be very good if say I'm drowsy, you know, or I'm, or it's dark out, but the false alarms are, you know, to your point, Dan, of making them better, the false alarms then just make people want to turn it off. And, and especially with lane keeping assist, you know, this is the thing I think that irritates people the most. And, you know, it's off, you know, it's often what trigger causes me to turn off lane keeping assist systems when they are too sensitive and they give you constant false alarms mm -hmm. and, you know, that's, and it's an audible alarm. Right. Um, you know, the, the car I'm driving this week is the Cadillac CT5 and, you know, I drove it across the state to Grand Rapids on Friday and this, you know, it reminded me of, you know, one of the things that GM really does did right was coming up with a, a haptic feedback system in the seat. Yes. It actually vibrates the seat. So when, you know, if you're drifting towards the lane on one side or the other, you know, it'll vibrate the seat on that side to, to give, to give you a warrant, give you an alert. Or uh, if you're backing out of a parking space in a parking lot and somebody's walking down the aisle, you know, there's a, you know, detects a pedestrian, it'll buzz the seat, you know, which I think is a great, you know, it's a great way to provide feedback. Um, and it, you know, it's not overly sensitive. I think, I think they did a, a good job of balancing the sensitivity and, you know, providing you a good feedback mechanism. Yeah. I think the other really confusing thing is that we haven't, we haven't settled on a terminology for each of these things. And, right. and, we, and even if we have like blind spot monitoring, people don't really know what that means. And, and I'll, you know, an example is my, when my sister and her husband were going car shopping, they wanted to buy a gently used like off lease vehicle. And there were two cars there, two Jeep Grand Cherokees that were basically exactly the same. I think I've told the story before. And basically, you know, one had blind spot monitoring, one did not. And I kept trying to push her to say, look, buy the blind spot monitoring, buy that, buy that. They ended up not buying it because they went with the one that they had originally picked out. And the first time that my brother-in-law drove it, he said to my sister, hey, why didn't it tell me the car was there? And she goes, that's blind spot monitoring that Rebecca's been trying to tell you about. And he's like, <laughs> oh, I didn't know what that Always was. Always listen to your wife or your sister. I'm sorry. I said, always listen to your wife well, or your I sister mean, on, on these things. I get paid. Well, I don't get paid, but I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you're a car rider. You definitely don't get paid, right? <laughs> but you know, it just reminds us. But it it brings it back to that consumer level, right? Of like, of realizing that we are so in enmeshed in all of this stuff that the general consumer may still need that translation of what blind spot monitoring actually is. Well, there's a and, yeah, there's a rush to brand everything yeah. so that it all has your own name on it and that <sighs> creates confusion um and then there's also just like back to that that jd power sort of study like finding that that people don't know what it does don't know how it works and and you know for some of the higher end cars there's that that training session that the dealer should give you um a lot of them do but uh, you know, even that it's, you sit with the, you know, the person from the dealer for a half hour or an hour while they go through the car. And then you're so overwhelmed because the feature set is so deep that you just, you forget, or you've tuned out halfway through because it's just, it's a lot, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. and, and so I don't, 
I don't know how we make that better. And the, you know, the Volvo experience that you're explaining is like, well, that's how they've sort of decided to handle it is they're going to make the system conservative and it's, it's going to uh, be really preemptive and probably, you know, that's good in a way, but also, uh, it can annoy the crap out of you. Well, yeah, because so, the first thing somebody's <laughs> going to say if they crash is, why didn't the system notify me? Right, exactly. Right. So, and so they're going and, and to. Like part of it, yeah, part of it is like, well, if it's going off all the time, at least you're seeing the thing you've bought, you know? Right. <laughs> like, um, you know, lane keeping systems, I think most people generally don't like because they fight with you. Um, and, and a lot of them just, they can't follow the lines. Uh, the, the lines on our highways aren't that great in, at least in this region. So <laughs> they get confused. Uh, some of them are real good. Others, they sort of wobble around, you know, from right to left as they try to stay centered. Um, but the, and, you know, we're going to, I think they're going to figure out what people want and what people don't want. And some of this stuff is going to go away or, or just get get better so it gets out of the way i think i think it's more it's going to get better i don't think most of these features are going to go away <clears throat> i think one thing that will definitely get better is the the branding you know as you said you know manufacturers have used their own branding you know like adaptive cruise control you know um super cruise auto toyota calls it um you know ra uh, radar cruise control hyundai calls it uh smart cruise control Nissan calls it intelligent cruise control. I mean, everybody's got their own branding <laughs> for, the, for, the, intelligent. Yeah. for, the, yeah. for the, same, the same thing. So, you know, one of the things that's good is um, Consumer Reports has really been making a push to standardize the naming of these features. And, you know, there's also, I think we've mentioned it before as well, the National Safety Council has a program called My Car Does What? Yes. Uh, and there's a, a website, mycardoeswhat.org where you can go and you can see all the different features and, you know, there's explainers on what they do. Um, and, you know, they, they, part, you know, when they launched this a couple of years ago, they, uh, they actually produce a whole bunch of materials, you know, pamphlets and stuff and posters that they distribute to um, DMV offices around the country, you know, to help drivers understand what all these features are, what they do, what it means. Um, so, you know, there's this push now to get that standardization of the naming so that everybody's using consistent naming uh, for these features. And I think that'll help, you know, and then combine that with education. Uh, you know, hopefully we can get to a point where people are less confused by it. I don't think we'll ever get, you know, completely not confused, but certainly if we can get them less confused so they understand better what the capabilities and, the, and more importantly, what the limitations are then I think that it'll make a difference. Let's jump into some uh, listener questions. <clears throat> so let's start with a question that came in from Snap uh, at uh, Yelly AJ, maybe. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that. Uh, but you he know had a question, you or they had a question <laughs> uh, about production of the 2021 Ford F-150. Uh, has it started yet? And when can we expect those on dealer lots? And uh, no, not started yet. Um, they're doing a shutdown. There's two plants that build the F-150 in Dearborn, Michigan and Kansas City, Missouri. Um, the Dearborn plant's going down for two weeks, middle of September, and then we'll start production uh, like the last week of September. And then uh, right after uh, Dearborn is done with its changeover, they'll change over uh, Kansas City and they'll start production, I think about the second or third week of October. So you should start seeing F-150s hitting dealer lots, new F-150s hitting dealer lots uh, by the end of October. All right, so get ready. All right. Not, there's not a, well, 
was, yeah. The, the 2021 is probably worth waiting for if you really must have it. There's not a, a huge gulf between the 2020s and, and 21s in a lot of ways. They're both really good trucks. If you need a truck, get one. You, you'll be you'll be pleased. Yeah, I think I think the big the big difference. Uh, there's actually several big differences. One, the interior on the new F-150 should be much better. Did you saw it last week? Didn't you? Rebecca, I did. Yeah, this is one of the products that they had out yeah. with the Bronco. So was the interior better than the current F-150? You know, I unfortunately, because there's really not Fords in our press fleet, I rarely get the opportunity to drive them. But I will say that this one had a, a beautiful interior, and they also had a lot of nice, small, uh, the emotional solutions that I call them, just finer details of of you know being able to make it they they really thought about making it a work truck along with making it a beautiful vehicle inside and out so i think you know from a cost standpoint if you're budget conscious i i agree with dan i don't think there's a tremendous amount of differences but over time those kinds of small things like having a platform for a computer to be able to work uh being able to um you know, just the, the ingress and egress was was really easy, uh, both from the cabin standpoint as well as from the truck bed standpoint. And they've just done a lot of really nice, thoughtful features to it to the twenty twenty one. Yeah, it, it's a great update. I mean, Ford knows how to make a truck and make it work they do. for everyone. <laughs> yeah, and and so, uh, and and you know, you have the hybrid that's also coming out yes. uh, as well. Oh, that's uh, true. Which should be interesting. That's true. So. If there's one segment that needs hybrids, that's definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next one from Harvey Simon. Uh, question for uh, for me and Dan. Uh, do you consider yourselves part of the auto industry? And uh, the question is prompted by Rebecca's description of herself in the last two shows as part of the auto industry. Uh, quote, we have not done a good job as an industry. And on the previous episode, her wording was similar. We in the auto industry. I thought that folks who review cars to do so objectively could not be part part of the industry they write about and therefore would consider themselves journalists. So why don't you go first, Dan, and then I'll respond. Um, I, I don't consider myself directly part of the automotive industry per se. I would, I would feel more, more uh, as part of the industry if I were working for automaker PR, which uh, I, you know, I could make myself available. <laughs> <laughs> but, for instance for, for the right price <laughs> yeah exactly but uh you know to be honest we're a tertiary industry though and and so there is that um understanding of we cover the product and the industry um and we have a close relationship uh and, and you you do have to be aware of that so that you don't you don't sort of get uh too far removed from being a journalist, you know, and I, I know that I, it's, it's hard for me to say I'm a full-time journalist too, because I'm, I'm stuck out here in Massachusetts. I'm stubborn. I won't, I won't go to New York. I won't go to LA. I won't go to Detroit. So that limits my options. I can freelance. I can sort of, uh, have it as a, as a side hustle. Um, and I try not to take up too much space for the people who are doing it full-time <laughs> because, uh, those are the folks who really, um, they are a lot more, they're a hardcore journalist and they, they should really, and you see it happen. They, they, they cover the industry with the same zeal that a political recorder reporter does and should cover politics. And, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it's their beat. Uh, so I, I guess 
yes, I consider myself part of the automotive journalism industry, but not the automotive industry per se. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to add anything to it before I respond? No, I'd like to hear your response as well. Okay. So um, I do consider myself part of the industry. Uh, you know, I don't work for an automaker or supplier anymore. I used to. Uh, I mean, that's where I started my career, working for suppliers uh, as an engineer. And you know, I've, I've always considered myself part of the industry, even, you know, when I worked as a full-time journalist, which I don't now, you know, part-time journalist and my, my full-time job, my 40 hour a week job is as an industry analyst, um, where, you know, I study the technologies and, you know, do market research and the work that I do, the pro the work product that I do, um, you know, I don't work for automakers or suppliers or, or anybody else, you know, that, would be it sounds like that you would consider part of the industry, but they they purchase the the product that we produce, the research reports that we produce. Um, you know they you know just as they also subscribe to car magazines and automotive news, you know, and other publications, you know, to get an understanding of what's going on out in the industry. But even as a journalist, you know, especially you know covering you know a lot of the technology stuff. I, I do still consider myself part of the industry to the degree that, you know, especially the, the kinds of things that we're talking about, uh, you know, it's, it's part to, uh, it's part of our responsibility to educate our readers, our listeners, our viewers on what these products are, how they work, why they work the way they do. Um, and, you know, we are not, salespeople or marketing people or PR people for the automakers. But we, you know, it's our job to educate you about, you know, what are, you know, what are these products? Why do they work as they do? And what should you know about them? And, you know, to the, you know, to the quotes, you know, about Rebecca, uh, you know, what she said about, you know, we've not done a good job as an industry, you know, uh, I think that was probably in our discussion of EVs right. or I know, I know you've, you've certainly used that, that wording in the context of EVs and, and some of the other things we've talked about on the show. Uh, you know, it's, it's all of our responsibility, even when we're not working as for automakers to help people understand what, what can an EV do or what can an ADAS system do for you? Um, you know, that's, that's what we do as communicators, you know, as media communicators is helping people to understand. And, um, you know, while, you know, and we, and we try to do that, um, you know, while not necessarily being salespeople, not promoting, you know, any particular product, but helping them understand what it is about a product that they might be interested in. Right. I mean, I feel um, like we're scouts, you know, it's, if you think about, scouts whether it's baseball or basketball or football they evaluate players right and they're part of the industry and some scouts are independent some scouts will work for a specific team but it's we're providing uh, i think one of the, we're providing a service but we try i think as much as possible to remain objective which is why we often have a pro and con. Like I always try and bring up something that I didn't really like about a product. There's rarely something that's completely fawning. Uh, you know, a fawning review isn't going to help anybody. And so I think that's one of the things that we try and do is 
as you say, Sam, provide that perspective and provide that our, this is our experience with that vehicle. And while we're, I, I mean, I do feel like I'm part of the industry also, you know, we're in, we're meshed, we're enmeshed in it. This is what we've been doing for over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you can, you can be objective. Um, You know, having an opinion is not mutually exclusive with being objective. You know, in fact, I think, I think it's necessary to be objective, to have a valid opinion, you know, to have a, a responsible opinion, I wouldn't necessarily say valid, but, but, you know, a responsible opinion, you know, to, to have, you know, to, for us to do our jobs, you know, we have to give you our opinions and we have to come at it from, you know, from a position of trying to be objective about it so that it's honest, you know, both, you know, about how we feel about it. And as you can see, sometimes we disagree on stuff, um, you know, and, and that's good because, you know, we're, we're all three of us are coming at it from very different perspectives. You know, we, uh, we have very different backgrounds, very different needs and wants uh, in a vehicle. And, you know, there's a lot of things we agree on and a lot of things we disagree on. You know, and those are all perfectly legitimate, I think. Well, I, I would like to throw it back out to um, the listeners and, and sort of, you know, take their temperature. Like, why do you why do you listen? What keeps you coming back? I know part of it is uh, people have learned our our personalities and those those likes and dislikes and wants and needs in vehicles. And I think part of that is you you align yourself to a degree with the opinions that um the, you share, right? Like you, you know, okay, this music reviewer always craps on this particular band that I like. I've always said, you know, a movie critic, you should follow the critic whose movies you agree, whose critics you agree with. Like if somebody suggests a movie and you go and see it, you actually like it, follow that critic because everyone has a different I, I, you know, a different like and dislike. There's some movies that I really like, and there's some movies that I don't like. And so, if, or, you should if, also follow critics you disagree well, with. No, no, absolutely. More, but, yeah. but you know, we do. We each. I, I agree. Like, I would be. I would love to hear more about how our listeners perceive us and what they think about it. But you know, it, to me, it's just like if you want to go see a movie, go back to the critic whose movies you actually liked. You know, their recommendations. Yeah. Or you know, I I love to you know the journalist thing is just to, to be like a, a small child, right. And just keep asking why, 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 and, and throwing it back. So uh, if there's an opinion or uh, you know, it's some rant that one of us goes on and, and you want to know more about it, like, you know, I, I'm very open to that. And I think that that's something that is really healthy is to be challenged on that. And uh, for, yeah, I think we do it amongst ourselves too, is just to, to make sure that we're, we're asking each other, well, okay, why do you feel that way? What is your reason for, for liking or disliking? I think it's pretty clear why I don't like touchscreens, <laughs> you know? And, and I think it's also clear why some people do like them um, to me, even though I dislike them. You know, so that's, I, I think that's where you get the- And this is an area where Dan and I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> the deeper understanding. But but I know like, like um, uh, you know, even just putting climate control in auto or uh, using the, the voice command. I know, Rebecca, you like voice command. Um, I never think works. to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's it's fun when it works. But, you know, like to me, it feels tedious to use. But it's it's that, you know, there's enough depth to this that I think that's what, what uh, keeps it keeps it interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily myself feel like I'm part of the automotive industry, but uh, <laughs> somebody wants to change that. <laughs> 
<laughs> let's talk. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you guys feel like you're part of the industry. That's good. But Harvey, thank you for the question, though. That was from Harvey Simon. Yeah. All right. Next up uh, from Adam uh, Jekowenko. Uh, something Rebecca said on our most recent show. You're getting us in court. trouble, Rebecca. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was her mentioning the value of rear cross-traffic alert. We're an EV family and shop Teslas briefly, but we're extremely disappointed to find that such a high-tech car does not offer this That feature. is amazing. I had no idea it didn't offer it. Be because we find it so valuable. There are so many times that where our Chevy Bolt, which is what we wound up buying, buying, alerted us to things we could not see. I still can't believe that Tesla doesn't offer this feature, and I just don't understand why. I saw someone as recently as a couple of months ago tweeted Elon begging for this feature, and he said he would consider it. It's just crazy to me that it's on almost every car in this price range, and I know it's a bit of a hard stance to take, especially for Tesla fans out there who will and have said to me, just use your camera. But if they never implement this feature, I will never buy one. Yeah, but the camera, um, the sensors can see further than the camera. Like, that's the thing that, like, I have a, sh uh, a shrub at the end of my driveway, and rear cross-traffic alert can often see a car coming that I can't see because there's a shrub blocking both the camera and my view out the back of the, the car. So when, when it goes off, I stop, and then I see the car go by. Yeah, the camera is right. not and, sufficient. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Right, and and the cameras are also not you know on Teslas are not positioned where they could be utilized for cross traffic alert. You know, so the the way cross traffic alert works, it actually is uh, it's using the same hardware that's available for your blind spot monitoring. So there's two short range radar sensors in the rear corners and the rear bumper on on either side um, <clears throat> that uh, are they're mounted behind the plastic covering on your bumper. And, or typically they are anyway. Sometimes they're um, actually integrated into the taillight assembly, but that's another story. Um, and, you know, so when you're backing up, you know, they, these can actually look out sideways from the rear corners of your car and look down, you know, if you're in a parking lot or a driveway and look sideways, you know, to see if there's any, you know, to detect if there's anyone, whether it's a pedestrian or a vehicle or a cyclist, coming you know towards your path and the advantage that radar has over a camera is gives it's much more accurate at detecting speed and direction than cameras are and you know unfortunately the you know tesla made the choice that they were going to use just the single radar sensor on the front for that they have for adaptive cruise control um, and leave it at that and that everything else is done with the cameras and with ultrasonic sensors which have a much shorter range and they're not as good at detecting where the object is, whereas radar is very good at that. Um, so it's 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 an unfortunate choice that Tesla made, but almost you know it, this is this is a technology that's rapidly becoming mainstream standard equipment in mainstream cars, you know, all the way you know from base models, you know, for twenty thousand dollars, you know, all the way up to much more expensive cars, you know, um, almost all Hondas, Toyotas, Nissans, uh, Fords have it as standard equipment now. Um, GM still, unfortunately, makes it an option on most of their cars, but um, I think they're probably gonna end up moving towards making it standard in the next few years. I hope so. Maybe if yeah. Elon's kid, once he starts to walk, whatever his name is, you know, as he toddles around whatever mansion they're in, maybe something will happen to him and he'll see the, the value of it. <laughs> I hope it doesn't take that. Well, not that he's going to hit the kid, but you know, like all of a sudden you realize like if something happens to you in your personal life, sometimes then you'll, they'll, they'll be happy to implement it. Then all of a sudden they'll see the value of it. Obviously I don't yeah, want any harm to come to the child. 
There, 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 there was also like, a PS from Adam. Oh, it's a nice kid there. It's going to be a shame if something happened to him. Uh, I, I, he says, uh, I also really love satellite radio, particularly talk stations, and the fact that you can't get this easily or implemented well on a Tesla is also deal breaker number two. I just don't understand why they don't implement the simplest forms, uh, simplest of common features like these, uh, well, as well as Android Auto and Apple CarPlay while they're at it. Yeah, so um, ser- ser- satellite radio is like you have to make the deal with SiriusXM, right? Yep. And yeah, it cost you money. Well, and, and I, I was talking to Jeff Gilbert on WWJ today. And of course, there's no AM saddle, AM radio either in Volvos or BMWs or and presumably Tesla. Tesla. Yeah. Tesla has never had AM yeah. radio. Um, uh, but what do you they, do at night? That's like you drive at night, a long, long highway drive at night. You want to pick up the stations that are like thousands of miles away with the skip. <laughs> I would do that. I'd drive from 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 uh, home. Apparently, Tesla's had issues with uh, interference with their oh, um, yeah, that's electric true. drivetrain, and uh, and I, you know, I think some other OEMs have had similar issues with. Uh, with electric vehicles um, and AM radios. That's true. I will um, say, like, a, I have not had a thing to solve. That yeah. seems like a I mean, great I've, plot for a horror film. But I I've not had good AM reception <laughs> in a car in the last 15 years. That's true. It's just too much. The car itself is just kicking off too much uh, electromagnetic radiation. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, two more uh, quick ones here um, from Groove. Uh, Due to the looming shortage of commas, what are your opinions on Oxford commas? Again, feel free to needlessly get personal on your opinions. I love this. People need to start following us on Twitter because these kinds of conversations show up on Twitter and they're pretty hilarious. Uh, well, go. I mean, what's your what's your comma opinion? Well, so my comma opinion is that they they I, I started to say this on Twitter and then it didn't really come out right. But it's like it's like nudity in movies. It, sometimes it judiciously moves the plot along and clarifies something, uh, but and other times it's just gratuitous. And I like a well placed comma. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> So if it clarifies and moves the plot along, and as I said on Twitter, it's the whole idea of I like eating my family and my pets, or I like eating, comma, my family, comma, and my pets. Don't be a psycho, use commas. What was that book, like Eats, Shoots, and Leaves? Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm not... Your metaphor, I'm still sucking your metaphor. So. <laughs> like, is there a point where the comma becomes a hyphen when it gets really heated? Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, I, I like, I like the Oxford comma. Like I, I generally like it, it. A, I went to, I went to Catholic elementary school and sister Mary elephant. Like we had rules. I mean, it's Roman Catholic elementary school. It's just all about rules. And, uh, you always, always, always use a comma. Like you have the Oxford comma. And so in my copyright career. Can we explain what career, the Oxford comma is for our listeners? So the Oxford comma is sort of like the, it, it's it's a serial comma. So when you have a group of three or more, um, a lot of times what uh, the modern style allows is you drop that last one and you just use and in between. So it's like, uh, you know, I had wheat bread, peanut butter, and jelly. Um, I, I don't know if that's a great. No, it's a good example. And and then the Oxford with when you use the Oxford comma before the and like you, I had wheat bread, peanut butter, comma, and 
jolly. Um, but the AP style guide, which a lot of publications use explicitly says, or it did until recently, I think they've actually just they changed, changed it. it yes. Uh, said not to put that last comma before the and. So that drove me bonkers as sort of the, the copywriting side of my career, because I'd, I would run across these like, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs of website copy or like advertising copy or something. And it would just be rife with that last co comma missing. I'd be like, what is the matter with you? Who taught you how to write? Like, no. And I would spend time going back in and like adding them back in and then I'd hand it off. And the, you know, the, the guy I handed it off to be like, what is the matter with you? Who taught you how to write? And he'd take them all out. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, like it's not clear. And, and I think that that's a, it's a precision thing to me. Like you, you need to break them up. I, maybe people just don't like the look of it or whatever. I don't know. I, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about AP uh, style. Um, Passive voice. It, it, yeah. The pa I hate the passive voice, but partly because I'm an advertising copywriter. And so <laughs> uh, we want action, but also just like as a, as a, um, as a journalist or, or, you know, somebody who's writing about, you know, the enthusiast press more so than a journalist, like we want action in our stories. And, and really it's not, not like that sort of classic bell curve to the story. I tend to start off with the Fichtean curve, which is like you start on action and it looks more like a sawtooth. Um, so like the science of, of how you're structuring the story goes together with the style. Um, and, and I just, I, I don't know, like, I like the precision of the Oxford comma. It makes my intent very clear. And I, I don't like the AP style guide so much. I don't like Chicago. Um, my favorite style guide ever has been Elements of Style, um, not be, partially because it's flexible. Uh, a lot of it's like E.B. White and and uh, William Strunk going, yeah, generally do this, but you know, do, do what you feel. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bohemian. Uh, bohemian style guide. <laughs> yeah, um, but also it's just like it's got a lot of good just common sense and, and sort of writing for readability, mm -hmm. which is generally where I go. Um, you know, I write for stuff that like is going to be in enjoyable to read. I want it to be readable, not not tedious. Um, or if I'm writing, you know, you want to talk about where the writing rules go out the window. Uh, it's writing for um, for voice. If you're writing a script mm. to be read or, you know, dialogue to be delivered. Oh my God, is the grammar wrong? And I can't tell you how many times I've like handed off a script or something and had it come back with it, like the grammar all fixed and be like, no, <laughs> like you're not going to like it when I pay the actors to deliver those lines for you. <laughs> like, please trust me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I like the serial comma. I like the actual comma. I, I I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think there are times when it is redundant, you know, and it doesn't add any precision, but it doesn't hurt. There's no, it doesn't cause any damage by adding, adding that extra comma there. Right. And there are a, a lot of times when it definitely helps eliminate ambiguity about what the meaning is. I mean, this is the same question, right? And so in my house, um, we have the, the friction between 12 hour time, and 24 hour time. Really? Yes. Do you live with Europeans? N no. Um, <laughs> but I love 24 hour time because it's. Oh, you're precise. the weird one. Okay. I am the weird one. And, and it's just like, you know, I get a lot of shocks. And it's like, but it's A, it's precise. B, it's efficient because you never have to say 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. You know that 3 is 3 a.m. and 15 oh, is 3, you know, 3 in the afternoon. Like, I guess you have to do a little bit of like mental translation, but it just, again, it's, it's precise and efficient. <laughs> That's you. 
That yeah. is you in a nutshell. Precise Except for I am efficient. not efficient. I, I enjoy precision and efficiency. I do not uh, necessarily exude it. <laughs> All right. One, one last one before we wind up for tonight. Uh, continuing the pizza theme from last week. Oh, boy. What would be your perfect food delivery vehicle? <sighs> for pizza or for any food? It, the question says perfect food delivery vehicle. Oh. How about food <laughs> receiving vehicle? That's what I like instead. <laughs> oh, you like, do, you, oh, do you mean like you like to get the pizza and then drive around and eat it? That could be a challenge if it's fresh. Yeah. Yeah, if it's too hot. Um, yeah. Burn the roof of your uh, mouth. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> never fun. Um, I, I, I don't know. Food delivery. Just you know, back I the think, tractor trailer. After the I'm going I'm to go with yeah. one of those little Ford transit connect little vehicles yeah something yeah, the like transit connects the transit connect is a good you know flexible um you know adaptable vehicle you know to deliver a single pizza or to you know cater a whole whole party you know it's 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 great yeah. what know, was the, you a um, lot of capability what was the domino's car was it the dxp it, uh yeah it mm-hmm. was um it was a modified chevy sonic yeah and um they replaced the passenger side rear door like in the window, they took out the window and basically put in uh, a little insulated compartment and a special door on there so that the delivery drivers could open that up, stick the pizza in there. It would stay nice and warm and, you know, until they got to the delivery and then, and then drop it off. Um, and they, they still have those around, uh, you know, here in, in Ann Arbor, and Ypsilanti, the Domino stores still have those. Well, I, so following on this theme that uh, Daryl or at D King Cole sent in, uh, I would be curious what everyone's pizza delivery cars are today. Like, so when the guy pulls up from my place, it's a little Kia Soul, all decorated out, all wrapped up in their pizza theme from our Curry's oh, Pizza nice. in Costco, Connecticut. Some of the best pizza I've ever had in my life. But yes, they have little Kia Souls that run around town. Huh. Our, I think the last time I had it delivered, it was a, um, uh, I want to say it was <clears throat> like a GMT 355 uh, Trailblazer or something. Oh. I felt kind of bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I, I tipped him too. a lot. I gave him a big tip. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I usually don't get delivery food. I usually go pick it up. So Yeah, you know, I do too. It's just everyone gets it from that, from our curries around here. So I see them buzzing all over okay. the place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they once delivered. It's, it's usually something old and decrepit, whatever okay. it is. So I just quickly, our curries once delivered pizza and a bottle of wine to a campfire at my neighbor's for us. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like that was pretty fabulous. <laughs> Excellent. That's great. <laughs> That's service. <laughs> That's, right. that's almost enough to get me to consider moving back to Connecticut. Almost. We will <laughs> almost. welcome you in Greenwich. You'll fit that's, right in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about as affordable as uh, Newton. Hey, the taxes are good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we I think we have done a delightful podcast uh, with, with pizza, uh, you know, another pizza ending. So... <laughs> Keep the questions um, coming, though, guys. Please, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we love we love it. Yeah. Thank you. 
for sure. Um, and so until next time, uh, you know where to find us. And uh, in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep the shows coming. So uh, yeah, reach out. Let us know uh, if there's any food related stuff that we can help you out with. Yep. That, that, and don't forget to rate us on wherever you find us, please. That will help yeah. as well. All right. So until next time. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Ya.